Welcome to episode six of the Hypnosis Nerd podcast. Um, I'm Luke Chow, and it's April 19th, 2020. Uh, joining me on this call is comedy hypnotist and certified consulting hypnotist Ed Fernandez. Ed, whose stage name is simply Fernandez, performs stage hypnosis in English and Spanish, and he also does hypnotherapy in a one-on-one setting. His website is fernandezhypnotist.com. That's F-E-R-N-A-N-D-E-Z hypnotist.com, all as one word. Ed, thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me, Luke. Thank you. Appreciate it. You're welcome. My first question for you is that in addition to what I just uh, said, which I got off your website, um, can you give our listeners the inside scoop about you and your history and your career? Well, first of all, my, my father was a professional a magician and a stage hypnotist. So I started... Uh, um, doing magic with my father when I was like five years of age. However, I didn't uh, really pick up um, an interest in doing uh, an actual presentation until I was about 13, 14 years of age. Uh, I, I did my first stage presentation. I was 14, uh, although I had done the magic prior to that, but I was like 14 doing like simple tests like the eye, the eye test, the, the book and hand claps, those type of things. Uh, or just uh, getting someone to stand there, um, close their eyes, put their hands on their sides, and you feel a magnet pulling you toward me. Uh, those are things that I do with my friends back back uh, in the day. Mm-hmm. However, I, I did start my career in the entertainment industry as uh, a, a, a magician and illusionist um, throughout uh, much of the uh, decade of, of, of the 80s. I was doing an illusion show along with uh, with uh, tigers and leopards in the casino market and also doing the hypnosis show um, as well. Uh, from 87 to 89, I was at the Haragua Hotel in the Santo Domingo, the Dominican Republic. We were doing the stage show and with, with that, the big show. And then I was working in the lounge doing the hypnosis show in Spanish. Now, that take me over to like 1990. Um it was actually 1990 that I, I, I took uh, some uh, courses with the um, Hypnosis Motivation Institute in, in Los Angeles. And actually, I, that back then, I actually became a, what they called then was a certified hypnotherapist, which is we all know all that titles have been changed now. Um, but it, it was more like uh, I always kept that in the, in the background because I, I was doing on the cruise ships. I was doing seminars. And then just in recently recent years, I decided to do do a little bit more work with that. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Thank you. Uh, and also back in that era, I had the pleasure of appearing uh, 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 with a Liberace show mm-hmm. in, in Las Vegas, doing shows like the Merv Griffin show, the Mike Douglas shows, which was uh, very much uh, very memorable things in my life. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Thank you. Yep. That leads into my next question, which is that because you've been trained and ex- you are experienced in both stage hypnosis and hypnotherapy or consulting hypnotism is sort of the NGH approved new term. Um, what do you see as the biggest differences between the use of hypnosis for entertainment as opposed to the use of hypnosis for personal change? Oh, you know, one thing I just wanted to mention that I forgot about the, my learning 
back in, in um, around in the early mid seventies, Alan Spraggett, who used to have a show called The Unexplained, if you may have remembered that, and I had the opportunity to uh, do some work with Alan. He was he actually taught me a lot about hypnosis. And then to augment on that a little bit, in the late 80s, early 90s, I met a gentleman, uh, Steve Steiner from Toronto. Uh, and Steve Steiner um, used to love to go to the sea stage hypnotist. Back, back in that area, it was myself and basically Mike Mandel. He would love to go to all the shows. I learned a lot from uh, Steve Steiner as well. Steve Steiner back then was the only uh, non-doctor that was allowed to be to do hypnotherapy because back then um, I believe you had to be a doctor, a medical doctor to to, uh, to do hypnotherapy in that area. In anyway, Ontario, so yes. So your question now, uh, the, the, the big difference between uh, hypnotherapy and the stage show, right? Exactly. Uh, well, in, in the stage shows, we all know uh, a stage hypnotist, he will bring volunteers that come up on stage, um, sit them in, in, in some chairs. One thing I'd like to point out, um, as a stage hypnotist, we never know what's going to happen. Um, you can be in a theater on a cruise ship with 2,000 people, and you can have 50 people up on stage. Or if you're in a Panama Canal cruise where the average age is like 85, 90, uh, you maybe have three volunteers, hmm. um, which if I've, I've played in the full theater and doing a Panama Canal cruise where I've only had two or three volunteers, and that, that that's all you got to work with. And now from that point, you have to do your, your pre-test, your, and then try to get, and hopefully that you're able to get at least some that are going to be good subjects for you. Um, that's a big challenge, and that's the big, uh, the biggest problem um, with a, a stage hypnotist, uh, but, but and you just have to. Give, uh, hopefully, after that, you got really good, willing subjects. And of, of course, the hypnotherapy. Um, you know, we can assist people to quit smoking, to lose weight, all, all of the above, um, and we just do that on a one-to-one -one basis. Uh, it's a little bit more relaxed and much less uh, attention. Um, because no matter what happens, you're, you're able to get to. Uh, complete the, the presentation the biggest concern of any uh, stage hypnotist is and most of them don't like talking about it what if you get very little volunteers what if nobody goes under mm -hmm. what do you do hmm. do you jump off the ship hope that another ship picks you up <laughs> no um so it, the the situation with that is that uh in a very rare, rare case, very rare case, if somebody, you got to show that nobody goes under. And and so now most hypnotists will say, okay, well, nobody went under. Okay, everybody goes back, show's over. Thanks for coming. Um, in the rare situations that it has happened, I have just said, you know what, the people that volunteered, we're not mentally ready to be able to allow themselves to be hypnotized. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to send them back and I'm going to ask for some new volunteers to come up. <laughs> and you know what? I send them back and I said, we're going to uh, just uh, uh, rearrange the chairs a little bit. We're going to take a two minute break. They come off. And now any new volunteers come up and we always get new volunteers and people the second time around always miraculously 
are ready to go forward with it um, mm-hmm. without getting hypnotized. So that you know that that, that stage hypnosis show is uh, uh, very 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 challenging and. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me ask you for now about your more recent work doing hypnotherapy. So there are many skills that a stage hypnotist has, one of them being selecting the right people and also weeding out people who are not there for the right reasons. Um, another skill being um, how to induce hypnosis and also then knowing what to say during hypnosis such that uh, what you've said will resonate with the client. And during hypnotherapy, you'll want it to stick with the client for weeks or months or years after their session or sessions are over. Um, So from, uh, from your point of view, how has your work with one-on-one consulting hypnotism or hypnotherapy been different from your work with groups on mass, well, you know it, 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 uh, it's a completely different scenario. Um, one thing that, that as all hypnotherapists or a consulting hypnotist would, would ask, um, for example, with, with smoking, for example, if you say to some, you know, uh, do you do you really want to quit? smoking you really want to quit and if they say you know what i i want to quit but i really don't want to and my doctor told me to quit mm-hmm. um most likely i would tell them or most of uh hypnotists will say you know what you're not ready for this come back when you're when you're ready mm-hmm. um i i have had you know challenges from all uh several scenarios people that have had um Things in in their past uh, that they've wanted to to alter a little bit, which can be very challenging. I have uh, worked with somebody uh, on a, a three month period for a, a scenario that happened in a relationship that they couldn't let go, um, and uh, those are you know a, a little bit more challenging things that you have to be creative a, a little bit to be able mm-hmm. to alter what you have to do to be able to tr- to get. Um, results uh, mm-hmm. with that um you know when, versus when, yeah when, when when i think about a stage hypnotist doing their work i imagine that after hypnotizing a volunteer they tell the volunteer and now you are a dog you think like a dog you feel like a dog you perceive like a dog when you open your eyes you'll be walking around on all fours barking like a dog and then instantaneously the volunteer will then act like a dog um, right. So if you're hypnotizing someone to stop smoking, is it just that simple, such that you hypnotize people through a standard induction and you tell them you are a non-smoker by the end of the session, you think like a non-smoker, you act like a non-smoker, you feel like a non-smoker. Right. Is it right. that simple or, uh, is it, or complicated? Uh, well, yeah, you know, almost, I mean, the, the idea is what the smoking is when you're, uh, is to uh, get them, you know, to say you are an unspoken, you know, one thing about with the smoking is much, much longer, much more. It's very complex and much more in depth, as you well know, um, than 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 um, some of doing a a stress management uh, session. Um, but going back just for a moment about the dog, <laughs> um, it's a stereotype. Yeah, I, I yeah, picked it what, because I, everyone can recognize it. Right, right. But I've never, I've never done anything like that. I, I've mm-hmm. never, and I don't know anybody that ever done that. I mean, I've heard of, of that, but I don't know personally anyone that's ever made somebody <laughs> act like a dog, although mm-hmm. some people would like to, you know, I don't know. Yep. But, um, 
you know, it, um, that's one, that's why one th- some of the things I say on stage, when I ask for volunteers, I, I, I guarantee you through one, you're not, I'm not going to make you bark like a dog uh, or cluck like a chicken unless you really want to. Well, but the, back, back, you know, to, to the, the, uh, the scenario with, with, with the smoking is once it, it's the, the depth of, of trying to, you know, give them the suggestions that, uh, uh, and there are various, as you well know, too, is different types of inductions that are available. Um, uh, and I'd like to, you know, maybe a, sometimes get a, a basic induction and sometimes just augment myself and things that I want to add or things that I want to subtract. And mm-hmm. Well, I guess the fundamental question is that uh, I, I picked the dog as an example because it's sort of sure, a sure. stereotype, but it, right. it's, it's about identity change. It's right. about taking on a new or different identity or a new and different worldview, where is it mm-hmm. fundamentally the same right. on stage and one-on-one in a private office? Well, the, the, as far as the, um, uh, the procedure it's basically going to be the same. I mean, if uh, uh, for hypnotherapy, I'm going to start with a progressive, maybe relaxation, possibly, and go into maybe direct suggestions, maybe not. Um, with a stage hypnosis, I'm going to start with basically the same scenario um, as being uh, a consulting hypnotist. However, um, my on-stage induction could be three to five minutes long. Mm-hmm. So really, only the more highly suggestible volunteers are really going to get hypnotized, where my induction uh, uh, when I'm working with a client could be 30 minutes long. Mm-hmm. I've done, uh, you know, 45 minutes. I, it depends on, 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 on that person. I mean, uh, with the smoking ones, I, I usually I, I, I work about an hour with it. Mm-hmm. And that's the only one that I, that I do that's actually the longest. Mm-hmm. But mostly because the, the the beginning concept is the same. You're trying to get them to do that and feed that information into the subconscious, uh, and then once the conscious mind accepts it, then the, the, the rest is history from there. But mm-hmm. the basic co- beginning and the concept is basically the same. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. Um, I'm going to articulate some questions that I think some listeners have after they've seen stage shows, and it's a rare opportunity sure. where they can pull aside an experienced stage hypnotist to right. ask questions. So I'm going to just sort of articulate some questions they mm-hmm. might have. Um, because a lot of it kind of looks like the volunteers are just pretending or just complying. It mm-hmm. looks kind of fake. So do you ever use plants? Um, do you believe your volunteers are faking it? Um, and do you find that it is, uh, I guess, for real? Or mm-hmm. is the whole thing bogus. Again, I'm putting words in the mouth of hypothetical sure. listeners. These are not actual concerns that I have. But right. what would you say to the skeptics who might be listening? Well, the, the first thing that I, I, I would say is that um, um, I, I don't believe and I would never believe in a moment that anyone is going to deliberately go up on stage saying to themselves, Hey, honey, you know what? This is a hypnotist. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to pretend that I'm hypnotized. Mm-hmm. No, that's not what happens. Um, now, I, the majority of the people that will volunteer up on that stage are people that genuinely really want to try to be hypnotized. 
Mm-hmm. Um, if there's somebody that goes on that stage with that preconceived idea, I'm going to go up there and pretend we can spot those guys pretty close. And if I get a guy up on the stage that is, is, is acting like a clown or acting silly, the first thing I do, I stop the show, buddy, go back to your seat. Mm-hmm. And I get rid of them immediately because the last thing on earth that we would need is for somebody to walk off that stage after that show and say to the people in the audience, I wasn't hypnotized. I just, mm-hmm. I just went along with it. Unfortunately, blew- you do sometimes hear that. And it's, I guess the hypnotist is just too nice to kick someone off the stage and they just try to play uh, to, to the nicer feelings that they want to create. Right. But um, sometimes you you unfortunately do hear that. And I mean, if someone hasn't volunteered in good faith to put on an entertaining show for the audience, then really, why are they there? Like, is it really just to show up the the, uh, performer? Well, no, and there are some people that go up on that stage. Another factor, too, is a a person going on stage, I dare you to do this to me. Hmm. I dare you. I talk to people after the show that tell me, you know what, I want to stage because I didn't think I could be hypnotized. And you know what? And I was challenging you. Mm-hmm. I was challenging you. And some of the people that afterwards tell me that I was challenging you are the mm-hmm. ones that after that be, end up being the, the one of the best subjects on the show mm-hmm. are the ones that challenge you. Uh, because a lot of times you, you, you finish a show and or, or I'll, I'll backtrack a little bit. If I'm doing a presentation on the on a cruise ship, and I I follow it up with a, a seminar, which we call that um, uh, you know hypnosis revealed with Hernandez, and we do that. Um, and in that in that seminar, the the a lot of the question is were these people really hypnotized? And mm-hmm. I said, well, they were really hypnotized in comparison to what? If they're mm-hmm. if you have an an idea, a preconceived idea in your mind of what hypnosis is from watching a movie. And then what do we see in a movie where the hypnotist is portrayed? I'm under your power. You will do everything that I say. You will walk it around like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we, uh, that's the first thing I, I clear. That's not hypnosis. Mm-hmm. It's Hollywood hypnosis. They want us to believe some of these bizarre, ridiculous things, but that's not what the hypnotic state is. So, um, that's the first thing that I have to clarify to, you know, to, to the audiences. Okay. You tell me, were they really hypnotized? And then I say, in comparison to what, if it's something that you saw, because if, if, so that's why I do that seminar to explain to people, um, the procedure. And, and I even explain when I do the induction, I, I, I go to pick up people's arms to see how relaxed they are. Um, and I go all, 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 all the way down with every step that I do. I explain everything like that during my seminar. Well, if uh, the Hollywood movies don't portray hypnosis accurately, um, how would you define hypnosis? So if, if you picked out one of the, uh, academic definitions, or if you put in your own words how you see hypnosis, either on stage or in hypnotherapy or both, how would you define it? Well, you know, basically the, the beginning premise is the same. Uh, and and, and uh, basically hypnosis is an altered state of consciousness. Um, 
And and I, I always explain, okay, what is an altered state of consciousness? What does that mean? Um, and I always use the example of the highway hypnosis and uh, where a person is driving their automobile, they're going to on their high on the highway, they're going from point A to point B, they get to the destination, they forgot how they got there, and they said, gee, I went by exit 38, 39, 40. And I ask everybody in the audience, how many of you can relate in the audience about this? And almost everyone raises their hand. So it, it, and in reality, uh, almost everybody that was here in this, if you raise your hand, that means you weren't actually in a hypnotic state and not even be aware that you have been. And most of us enter hypnosis almost every day, not even be aware that, that we, we have. Um, so hypnosis is an altered uh, state of consciousness. We put somebody into a very deep state of relaxation and get them to a very deep state of relaxation, give suggestions to the subconscious mind, and then the conscious mind will then react upon uh, that suggestion. So um, uh, whether it be that with a hypnotherapy or, or with the stage show, unless we're doing like now, if, if we're doing like post-hypnotic suggestions with somebody with um, with, with hypnosis, uh, that's, a, you know, it's a little bit more complex, as you well know. Um, but, but you know, the explanation that I, that I give to you, basically the, the beginning premise is basically the same for both. Fantastic. Thank you. That ties in with my next question, which is that some academics state that hypnosis is merely a form of role play, and on stage there are social pressures to play along. So if you divide all academic theories as to what hypnosis is, there are state models or definitions, and then there are non-state models. You have articulated um, a state model of hypnosis where it's a certain state of mind, whereas uh, an academic who believes that it's just role play believes there is no special state of hypnosis and that people are just playing along. Now, my personal opinion is such a academic has not been effectively hypnotized and that they um, are looking very specifically perhaps at bad hypnotists whose volunteers mm. or subjects have to play along. Um, so th that's my personal opinion about the state versus non-state debate mm. within hypnotherapy. Um, but the question is that um, some academics believe that everyone on stage is just playing mm. along because of social expectations, not because they're in a unique state of mind. Um, you've heard my point of view. What's yours? Well, okay. Um, you know, that, that well, anyway, anyway, in my opinion, that, that is completely wrong. Uh -huh. uh, if you had, uh, if you were doing a presentation in uh, a high school uh, show, high school assembly show, 50 chairs up on stage, and the kids kill each other to get up a seat. Mm -hmm. um, th th there's certainly that possibility that 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 the 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 kids are are following along because they have such a desire to want to get hypnotized that this could possibly happen. However, um, when you're doing a, a show, I've done a number of corporate shows for all my whole life, many, many corporate shows. I've done shows. Um, I did a, a, show, a company that, uh, and they were all, uh, everybody that was up on stage, all scientists, um, very, very educated, very intelligent people. Um, and, uh, and some of them made great, great subjects, great subjects. So, um, 
remember the old theory, the more intelligent a person is, the better subject that they make. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly believe that at 100 percent. I mean, as an example mm -hmm. of some of the people. So if I had men that were in their 50s and their 60s and they were and made great – and these were scientists. Mm -hmm. Going further, going on a cruise ship, um, uh, you, uh, you, you know, the average cruise – People are in their 60s, 70s. Some cruises are like the really exotic cruises. People are like uh, in their 80s. Um, uh, and the 80s, 85. And these people, one thing, uh, they, they will volunteer. However, I have to be extremely careful. I, when I do that on the present, on the ship like that, I have uh, helpers. The assisting people to go up the stairs by taking mm -hmm. their hand, guiding them to their seats. One thing with a, a people of that age, never ever are they uh, will they get up from their chairs. Mm -hmm. They're not going to get up. Uh, you're not going to get 80 year olds to get up and start doing river dance. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's a no. physical risk. So that's not going to happen. Um, Right. So uh, I have to do things. Then I also have spotters on stage. Um, mm -hmm. They are behind the people to make sure nobody falls off their chairs. Mm -hmm. um, as a result of that, I have never, ever had uh, any kind of incident, any kind of an accident ever on my show in 35 years. Mm -hmm. That has never happened um, because of the, of the precautions that I, that I actually take. And I see, you know, sh videos of, of, of guys doing things and I go, oh, yeah. man. Um, I, I, I don't have any doubt that you practice stage hypnosis in a risk-aware way. That's one of my later questions, actually, because anyone who says hypnosis is totally safe is talking only about going into hypnosis in a comfortable chair or bed and not moving a muscle. In that right, context, right. it's very safe. But once you start to have the client do things, or once you start to suggest things meant to have impact long-term, that's where right. risks can come in. But I'll get to that question later. Um, and sure. I, I want to address one point that you made, um, which is that uh, you, you've had people who were scientists, who were very accomplished, very intelligent, who were brilliant hypnotic subjects. And we have to say that because there's this myth that someone who is hypnotizable is gullible, and that's right. not the case. Because intelligence is correlated with openness. People who are more highly intelligent are more willing and likely to entertain new, novel, unfamiliar ideas. Right. It's people who are uh, less intelligent who tend to be more close-minded and who are very firm and set in their ways. But I'm not at all surprised that people who are more intelligent, in your experience, are better volunteers on stage, because overall, people who are smart at one thing tend to be good at other things too, and being a volunteer on stage or taking on new ideas is just another um, way that their intelligence is expressed. I kind of want to back up the idea that hypnosis on stage or elsewhere is not just role play by bringing up the topic of hypnotic phenomena. So you touched upon mm -hmm. this in your introduction, right. where if you can lock someone's hands together, or if you can get someone to feel like they can't move a muscle, or if you get someone to hallucinate right. or to forget their right. name, these are uh, known as hypnotic phenomena, things that right. happen during hypnosis that tend not to happen outside hypnosis and are um, useful to uh, use as 
as depth tests or indeed just indicators that someone is really hypnotized right. as opposed to just playing along. Um, can you talk a little bit about hypnotic phenomena that you might use in your stage show where if you look back and point to some videos that, uh, that you might have shot or shows you've done, that it's definitive proof that there's something going on other than people just playing along. Well, the one thing I like to mention, and you mentioned about somebody forgetting their name, I'll get back to that in a moment about the hypnotic phenomena. Um, and, and basically, in North America, uh, the the stage hypnotist are humorous shows. Um, one of the um, biggest names in the in in, in hypnosis was uh, Ravine Peter Ravine. Uh, who passed away a number of years ago, but and he brilliant, brilliant entertainer, uh, brilliant show. But uh, he was so careful. He spoke for an hour before he even brought people up on stage. Mm-hmm. Imagine that for an hour before he brought people up on stage. Uh, that type of show was very, very, uh, and compared to today's standards, it was very, very slow. Mm-hmm. In Europe, Eastern Europe, um, Parts of um, uh, part and even going into scenarios like in Africa, uh, stage hypnotists are not comedy hypnotists. Stage hypnotists do bizarre things. Hypnotizing someone, um, okay, I'm gonna get, close your eyes. I'm gonna get a needle, put alcohol on this needle, put needles mm-hmm. in your arms and your hands. Hello. Mm-hmm. If we did that today, we would be out of business. Um, Especially in the U.S. where lawyers will just put the clamp down on anything that could cause harm oh, to a volunteer. Which brings me to mind, I met a gentleman on the Caribbean Princess uh, who told me uh, he, he was a um, uh, um, doctor himself. And in 1958, the American Medical Association accepted hypnosis to be used for therapeutic purposes mm-hmm. to convince the board of that this gentleman told me he was there he went it was asked by a uh, an, a, um, a hypnotist to go in front of the board he was hypnotized in front of the board and how it can be used and he said just uh, close your eyes well he did the whole he took and put needles in his hands mm-hmm. And he said, you will not feel any pain. You're not going to feel any pain. He did all of this. Bam, 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 bam. Um, and then after that, you know, it was that demonstration that was done to the AMA board that that they agreed to accept hypnosis to, to be used for, for therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I got the pleasure of meeting this gentleman uh, on a cruise ship. I, after they, that, I spoke to him. For the remainder of the week, over and over and over again, the man has passed away now uh, since then. Um, but it was brilliant, br- brilliant uh, to note and meet the person that was actually instrumental on in bringing that forward. Mm-hmm. It's great. Well, it's it's a very dramatic demonstration to put a needle through a person's hand. Um, right. 
during some stage shows I've seen and some, some videos online I've seen of stage hypnosis, something as simple as causing someone to forget the number seven can be quite right. hilarious because there's that classic routine of having the volunteer count 11 fingers because right. they have forgotten the number seven. So you'll actually see quizzical looks on the right. volunteer's face right. because right. they... Um, it's not just that they forgot the number seven, they've forgotten that they have forgotten the number seven, so they actually have counted uh, 11 fingers on well, their with, two hands. With, with the, like, for the, the, the forget the, the, your name, uh, which is a standard uh, presentation. Mm -hmm. One time I did this and I had a woman, uh, and, and this was uh, on a cruise ship. I told her she'll forget her name, she'll forget where, where she, um, you know, where she was. And then um, I, when she opened her eyes, I said, okay, you know, what's your name? And she, you know, she goes, she says, I, I don't know. Then I snapped my finger. Okay, you remember now. What's your name? Mabel. Okay, you, you forgot your name now. Mm -hmm. And she doesn't, and she can't, now, then I, all of a sudden, this woman started to cry. Mm -hmm. Like I see tears and she's going, it's like, and, and I, and I said, you know, I, I see now I'm putting stress on this person because yep. now she's starting to cry. Yeah. And that scenario, when that happens, you got to back off. Of course. And that scenario immediately. Okay. We're going to remove that suggestion. That suggestion. Yep. Yep. Um, and then, uh, but in, in Europe, I've seen guys in Europe take, um, uh, put us a, a person between two boards, for example, Mm -hmm. The rigid body, yep. as you're familiar with, yeah. well, I but think put, a block, put a block of ice on their stomach and take a sledgehammer, yep, and break this this um I'm, this this block of ice in their stomach. I'm, um, I'm pretty sure I saw which, Mike Mandel do that in the year 2000 because he uh, was a really performer during. Uh, I don't okay. know whether it was a block of ice or a concrete block or something like that. Oh, yeah, the concrete block's another one. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. Well, he performed at my uh, Frosh Week orientation at U of T back in the year 2000. Right. So um, I, I've seen him do that here here in Toronto. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not... Admit, the, the, put, the, the ice thing is a bit of a trick, though. Okay. Well, uh, so... <laughs> Some of it, I mean, like if you ever read the classic book, I think it's by Ormond McGill, the New yeah. Encyclopedia mm -hmm. of Stage Hypnotists. There are a number yeah. of tricks in the book, like yeah. uh, having the uh, the chloroform or whatever it is up the uh, um, uh, the spray bottle that you, you spritz into the person's face. If they're especially uh, resistant right. or belligerent, you just chemically right. knock them out as opposed to hypnotize. You know, that's Great. the kind of thing that cannot be done these days. It, it, no. it, it, it's, it's completely unethical and cannot be done, but it's fun. It's fun to read about in a book that was probably first written in the 1950s. Right, right. Mind you, that book was written, I believe, in the 50s, very early 50s. Mm -hmm. And But I mean, the, the, the basic concepts of everything are, are applicable today. It just just the scenarios yes. change well for uh, my copy of the book was lent out and never came back i forgot who i lent it oh, out to no. but i i seem to remember that um uh th th there was a chapter on how to hypnotize uh i think it was a lobster a chicken and a <laughs> rabbit um so my my next question is have you ever volunteered yourself as a subject during a stage hypnosis show, even if it's way back decades when you were in training or before you were a professional? And if you did, um, what was your experience like? If, if you've never volunteered, no. can you talk no, about... I, 
I, I, I never volunteered for a stage show, um, but I'll tell you my experience of when I was hypnotized. Absolutely. Um, and it was only one time that I've actually been hypnotized, if you can believe that or not. But uh, I was in um, uh, going on a tour. We used to do a, a Western tour. This was in around 1984, 85. Uh, we were leaving the tour. I had a whole variety show. I was doing uh, uh, the hypnosis and some magic. So, and I had some dancers with me. I had a whole show. I had a um, a one ton van, which is you know they half ton, three quarter, one ton, which is a heavy, very heavy van, with a twenty foot trailer carrying lights. I carried the whole show. Um, back then, I was stupid, and I would like to travel at nighttime. I would prefer to leave at night, uh, even in the winter. So I left at night. Because I figure it, at nighttime is there's less traffic, and and it, it's better to drive. And in the daytime is very congested. So, um, ten about ten miles or uh, fifteen kilometers uh, south of North Bay, Ontario, the weather was um, it was starting to snow. It was uh, only about zero degrees, so the roads were very slippery. Um, and then just south of North Bay, a southbound vehicle was heading toward me, uh, lost control, went across in my front, jammed in, in the front of my van. We jackknifed, and then when, from that point, I had no idea what happened. I ended up in the snowbank. Um, I got out. I was in shock when I saw this car wedged in the front of my of my van. Um, it was a sunfire, which, so it was what the width of that, the car was like half of the width. And there was a young lady that was there. I could see the back of her head. One of my helpers decided, wanted to go jump over the snow and go over there. And I said, where are you going? He said, I'm see if she needs any help. And immediately I just said, you know, I, I don't think we can help her. Um, Anyway, uh, the the girl that 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 that's happened passed away. She she uh, as she hit the van, she mm -hmm. snapped her neck. Um, anyway, after that, I had to replace my van in North Bay, uh, and I had to get on the road and leave again. The hardest thing I ever had to do in my entire life was get back on the road and and go back to complete the tour. Um, mm -hmm. And I asked uh, afterwards um, a friend to come up to help me drive and, and uh, to make the trip. Uh, after that, when I would drive in certain conditions, I would be if if I would, if it was nighttime, it was snowing, mm -hmm. I would start to panic. I would start to shake. I would mm -hmm. say, "I've got to get off the road. I, I can't. I, I I can't continue anymore. I have to get off the road." And I remember going one time. I'm sitting to my my, my help. I said, "Look on the map." Worse than that stop, I got to get off. I can't continue. Um, if I if a car was coming toward me, I saw the lights coming toward me, and the car would like shoot across like that. It was just haunting me. Um, when I, we completed tour, I came back to back to Toronto. Uh, I was uh, advised uh, there was a, a psychiatrist who did hypnosis, and. Um, he told me uh, uh, a very interesting procedure that I was unfamiliar with, and perhaps maybe you are familiar with this. He told me to visualize that I was in a uh, in a theater in the projection booth. Yep, it's a fast phobia cure. 
from uh, yeah, and, and he said, yeah, what'd you call it? It's the fast phobia cure or the five minute phobia cure from NLP. Okay, oh, okay. all right. So, so he told me that that you're the projectionist. Put on the 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 the, the projection machine and see the vehicle coming toward you mm-hmm. as it comes over and 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 goes across your your vehicle. It says now visualize that in black and in, in, in full color. Now put it in reverse. Visualize it in black and white in slow motion mm-hmm. backwards. So see your see the vehicle back at just backing up backing up backing up do you see the 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 car getting smaller and i'm just not if you do i see it smaller you see it getting smaller i've Mm -hmm. nodded my head said nod when you don't see the car anymore i nod my head and he said from now on you will never ever see that image again and that was in 1985 Hmm. and i never ever saw that image again uh, mind you, it's never, it's never completely been off of my mind. I mean, it's always. Imagine. Uh, every time I, I go up to North Bay, I know I know exactly where we had the accident. Just you know, right around this area, and I relive it every time. You know, mm-hmm. but it, it was something that for me it worked, and I did one session. So uh, you know, throw out the theory that you needed to do multiple sessions. Mm-hmm. I did one. It worked for me, and I've never been hypnotized again. Um, I'm going to start smoking so I can stop smoking. With <laughs> hypnosis. Yeah. Well, uh, one follow-up question that I have to to that one. Thank you for the story, by the way. Um, it's that uh, you've primarily been on the hypnotist's end, and you've seen people in hypnosis be relaxed. You've seen them be able to alter their perceptions or their awareness more readily, more easily than in a normal waking state. And you've also shared the one experience you've had where you yourself altered your perceptions. Um, Could you talk a little bit about how the subjective experience is either the same as or different from what the uh, um, objectively observable experience appears like from the outside? I'm sorry. Can you repeat that again? Please? Sure, sure. Um, well, so um, I, yeah, um, I, I'm asking you essentially uh, if you could compare and contrast your uh, subjective experience of being hypnotized mm-hmm. and um, your observation of how other people appear when they're being hypnotized, even if it's on stage where you do your work versus mm-hmm. a psychiatrist's office where you were hypnotized. Well, you know, the, the, uh, the, the audience experience or, or the person's experience rather will, will greatly will vary, not great, will vary because you can have a person who is a, a very highly suggestible person mm-hmm. and, and, and a highly suggestible person, in my opinion, can be hypnotized very, very, very quickly. Uh, like even in, in less than a minute or, uh, or a highly suggestible person, uh, then you got that person that, that um, may take 10 minutes to get to, to, mm-hmm. to do. Uh, but with, with the, the it, it, each one is different. There are certain characteristics of, of, of someone, uh, their facial expressions, um, how they act. Um, and, and, and also too, that can also, tell me if a person maybe got hypnotized first and maybe have come out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if they come out of it, 
which is a, a possibility that can happen. And if I see that, that all of a sudden they're a little fidgety and now all of a sudden they're, they're, they're moving their hands or all of a sudden they're shaking their foot or something, then they give me an indication. So I, I will take that person. I, I would take them and send them back to their seat. People mm -hmm. afterwards said, why did you send that person back? Because they were so good up on the stage. But I said, I, I just noticed that they had come out of it. Yep. And I didn't want to leave them there. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I think it speaks to your integrity. Because some stage hypnotists look for the most entertaining volunteers, not people who are actually hypnotized. You actually care whether or not the volunteers really hypnotized. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely, because you know that 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 to me is we we will not survive if we don't have credibility. In other mm -hmm. words, if 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 every show that I ever did, as an example, if, if people will go back and say, "Oh, I don't know, this I wasn't hypnotized," you know, then I would never get rehired again. Mm -hmm. I would never get rehired if that's the the report that goes back to the client mm -hmm. or the cruise director on the ship, and this is what people are thinking they would never hire you again. Mm -hmm. So I've survived 35 years going through this business and I'm not quitting. I'm not stopping. COVID's not making me stop. You know, awesome. I'm going to, um, it's not going to make me stop. I'm going to, we can work harder now than ever. Um, so fantastic. Uh, it's not, not making me quit. I may become a male stripper online. But that's maybe <laughs> just to help me a little bit. So no, I won't. <laughs> One um, question I have about the uh, differences between stage hypnosis and hypnotherapy, um, and I guess you'll be speaking more as a practitioner than from your own personal mm -hmm. experience, um, is why is it that on stage, it's almost like you can say one sentence or a few sentences, and instantaneously, the volunteer has a whole new worldview where they believe something about their environment or about themselves and then express it through their actions versus in a private office, you will spend 30 minutes, 45 minutes or a full hour doing an induction. And in many right. cases, you'll see the client repeatedly. Um, why do you think hypnotherapy just takes more time and isn't as simple as you see on stage? Well, uh, on the stages, I, I don't know if I mentioned it. The the morally, the more highly suggestible persons are going to get hypnotized, um, and that's why some sometimes people will go up on stage and they don't go under, and they come back to my seminar. I say, well, why didn't I go under? I tried. I really tried. I was trying to focus with you, and I just didn't quite get there. And I said, just you know, it, probably you just needed more time. Than others. Um, now, the person that I did, a, I could have done a three-minute induction. The highly suggestible people um, would uh, are, are the ones that are going to get hypnotized that that quickly. Um, and, and you weren't. You just needed more time. An example. And I, uh, also, um, I, I I learned a little bit many years ago about uh, emergency hypnosis. Um, and about how people, um, if there's an accident or something, and I, I this was in the 70s, and uh, I, I witnessed right in front of me, I was at Thunder Bay at a fair there. Uh, there was a head-on collision, uh, and I was uh, with a friend, and we, we were right there, like, with first people on, on, on the site, and um, 
got to the one car, there were four people and they're all in bad shape. And that one woman says, I, I, I got to get out. I, I got I to get out of this car. I, got, I said, no, 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 no. Just stay there. Don't move. Don't move. I can see the lights are coming. They're, they're, they're almost here. Just take it easy. Just take it easy. And she said, and my, my, and my shoulder's hurting, and, and I've got to get out. I said, no, just stay there. I can see them coming. They're going to they're gonna be here in a minute. She said, where? And I said, where, where is your, uh, your shoulder hurting? I said, you know, I put my hand on her shoulder. And I said, now you're going to feel my hand. Like, just listen to me. Just listen to me. Mm-hmm. You, you're going to feel the warmth in my hand. I'm just wearing it. She said, do you, do you feel the warmth? Of my hand, she says, "I feel the warmth. Yeah, I, I do. I feel it. Okay, just listen to me. You, uh, that warmth is going to get stronger. It's going to get stronger. In a moment, you're not going to feel any more pain. You're not going to feel any more pain. The pain is going away. And just nod to me when the the pain is gone. And then about 30 seconds later, she she goes, "Oh, it's gone." And then and then I kept talking to her and talking. I mean, now there's no lights coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I stayed with these people and. Um, and this is just something that I that I had learned uh, about that from actually Alan Spraggett, which which uh, is the one I first heard of that. Um, and I and I knew about that as something that was in my mind. And I uh, happened to be there and it was something that I did. And I wish I would know more about that. But well, still, for me, it worked. Well, you did worked. Exactly. It worked for me. Yes. One difference that I perceive between stage hypnosis and emergency hypnosis, as you just described, versus hypnotherapy, mm-hmm. is that on stage right. and during emergency hypnosis, your voice is right there in the client's or the subject's or the volunteer's ears right. throughout the whole process. So you could maintain right. the suggestions right. that you're making. Whereas for hypnotherapy, you're expected to speak for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, an hour. And then five years later, when their old friend offers them a cigarette, they're still expected to say, no, thank you. I'm a non-smoker. So the expectation of stage hypnosis or emergency hypnosis, too, is to be able to help people in the moment or get them to accept ideas in the moment. Whereas the expectation for hypnotherapy is for the client to accept ideas for life or at least to ex- to accept ideas long term and i would suggest that that's why it takes more time for ideas to be accepted long term right, versus right. in the moment well it's funny because you know with um the odd time i hear somebody you know that or i taught and i said oh i don't believe in hypnosis i don't believe that yeah I, I don't believe that and and you know and and i and i said you know i, I in that scenario with that that that, that woman, um, this woman may not have believed in hypnosis, as an example. But when I got to that point, and I I, I told her, you, and the, but the, the idea where I was very forceful. You're gonna feel, you're gonna feel the warmth in my hand. You're gonna feel the warmth in my hand. You you, you feel the warmth, and then a little while she said, yes. Yes, I can feel it. And now you're going to feel the pain go away. The pain is going to just listen to me. The pain is going to go away. It's going to go away. It's leaving now. It's leaving now. You're not going to feel any more pain. And it's not to me when then all of a sudden you said, I don't feel it. <laughs> and um, and that was the first time I did that. And fortunately, hmm. the last time I did that too. Yeah, so, <laughs> fortunately. Yeah. Well, yeah. 
Many modern-day hypnotherapists, um, I guess if they've read certain books or have had certain teachers, they'll tell you never ever use the word pain when you're working with pain management because it just brings a client's attention to pain. And yet, in the story that you gave, the pain did go away in 30 seconds. And I, I want to speak to the idea that sometimes I think uh, new practitioners care too much about the words they pick. Um, right. or how they say it, and not enough about the meaning behind the words. Because someone in an emergency situation who's feeling pain has pain at the front of their mind. They see it as pain, they feel it as pain, they perceive it as pain. There's no reason for you to avoid the word pain. And in fact, using the word pain, um, to use an NLP term, it paces yeah. the client's current experience. We will not deny that the client in an emergency situation is feeling pain, and then you then lead by suggesting that it is going away, it's going away, right, and right. there's nothing wrong with using that word. Right, right. Um, my next question is one that I said we would come around to, and right. the, the question is that um, I myself have often spoken about the risks of hypnotherapy mm -hmm. and the idea that it's not completely safe so that practitioners might practice in a risk-aware way. Right. Um, if someone is looking at attending a stage show or volunteering for a stage show, whether in Europe or here in North America, um, what are some risks they should be aware of, or if someone's looking at entering the field, rather than accepting that hypnosis is totally safe, okay. what risks should they be aware of? Well, you you, you got to realize, or they have to realize that um, besides the obvious safety issues that I've covered already, and I said I've never had an incident with anything, um, there's also people that um, could be mentally unbalanced. You have somebody that's mentally unbalanced and is going to be doing some, uh, uh, you know, uh, participating in that. Uh, they can overreact. I, I, I know that if um, if, if a, uh, a schizophrenia, for example, mm -hmm. uh, and certainly I'm no expert on that. However, I do know that with schizophrenia, if a person, a, a hypnotic subject could possibly overreact to something but almost almost into a, a you know um a violent way uh in other words so if a person as i saying you're being bitten by mosquitoes and hmm. some people are just going and this one's going <laughs> yeah okay they're really really i i will bring that person down i will you know and then i'll, I'll okay and I'll, I'll settle them down and then after i finish that segment i dismiss them to go back I take them out of it, bring them back, and, and dismiss them off the stage mm -hmm. immediately. <laughs> now, I, gee, I think that I think that person mess, is messed up. <laughs> uh, I just immediately get rid of immediately, immediately. Well, I, I, um, I think that someone who is psychotic, whether or not they have schizophrenia, already has a hard time distinguishing between reality and imagination. And it's almost like they're in a waking dream. So when you come in to suggest that their waking dream is suddenly now infested with mosquitoes, you might imagine how they'll react as though there were actually mosquitoes attacking them. And they might react because it's so easy for them to accept imaginary scenarios in the first place. Um, are, are there any other risks that 
someone should be aware of when practicing or well, participating. Factor of that. Okay, the other the other factor you have to be aware about is the person that goes on stage that I would call opportunist, uh, that pick a, uh, a stage hypnotist scenario and, and then claim that because of what happened to them on stage, that their life is uh, destroyed mm. as to ha that's happened to Paul McKenna a number of years ago, the British, mm. um, the British hypnotist. And, um, the uh, from what I recall, he had a stage subject which is great, and then the guy claimed afterwards that he had schizophrenia because of this it happened. It was a huge, huge case uh, worldwide. Mm -hmm. Eventually, uh, then they try to discredit him to say that he didn't know what he was doing. Um, and then there was the uh, he got a, a, a panel of experts that he finally got together and, and then in, in the trial, from what I recall, everybody said, OK, uh, um, it, it's possible that this person um, would, would it's possible he has schizophrenia, but not as a result of being under hypnosis with Paul McKenna. Mm -hmm. And he got off of it. Unfortunately, it destroyed his life for many years after that, uh, because mm -hmm. even though that's what that was the the, the outcome, he was off scot free, everything ended right there. But people just remember the negative. Well, but in, in England, and he and he had a TV show. He was a very he was a big star mm -hmm. in England. Uh, yeah. But that's, that's now in in the past. So that's something that to, to be aware about, mm -hmm. uh, to be careful, be just. Keep it always in your mind that there's always a person that maybe, just maybe, is going to try to pull something like <laughs> that. And if you watch, watch what they're doing and watch how they're acting. And if they act any thing that would tip you off on that, you know mm -hmm. what? Take them out of it. Get them back mm -hmm. off. Get them yep. back to their seat. Yep. Before they can they can get any further to try to to do something. <laughs> Well, I, I believe that currently, uh, the, the, the current medical accepted model for how schizophrenia develops is that first there has to be a genetic predisposition, and then there has to be a stressor or stressors in the person's life. So the claim could be made that if he has a genetic predisposition, that putting himself in a stressful situation like a stage hypnosis show might exacerbate or, or cause the um, his first psychotic episode. Um, but I understand the claim, which was much stronger than that, which is that McKenna gave him schizophrenia, which the current medical understanding of schizophrenia would not support. Well, I'll give you another uh, a really bizarre one that also happened in England um, was... Uh, um, a hypnotist uh, did a, a scenario where he told, um, you know, where you, you feel, um, you know, a lot of guys do it. You feel the pain, you're going to jump out of your seat, you know. The, uh, but he told the girl that um, she's going to feel uh, uh, 20,000 volts of electricity when I say this word. I've heard about that one. And. Um, and then uh, and then she would jump up and and then she 25 year old girl. She went home and somehow overnight passed away in her sleep. Um, now, the, the first thing that I have to think is, 
um, somebody says to me, you're going to have 20,000 volts in your seat. In reality, I really don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. All that means, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know what, what that really means in perspective. I know it's more than one uh, volt of electricity, mm-hmm. uh, but what does, it talk, what does that mean? Does, uh, I, I don't really know what it means. Does it mean, am I going to die if I got 20,000, or do, am I going to die if I have 5,000 or one? I don't really mm-hmm. know what that means. Um, so the, the 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 family was trying to say that um, that that it was all because of what the hypnotist. Again, another one that got negative publicity, but um, as a result, it, it ended up being cleared because there was no validity to what mm-hmm. to do. Yeah. Right. Yep. Well, I think it's the same with hypnotherapists, where our insurance rates are extremely low, and probably because, my understanding is, at least in Canada, no hypnotherapist have, has ever been sued by a client. And in the U.S., right. in a very litigious society like that, the rates of lawsuits are very low for hypnotherapists compared to pretty much every medical profession. Right, right, right. My next question is... What is the wildest hypnosis story that you can tell? Wow. You know what? I have many, many, many. But probably one as the wildest. Um, uh, I was doing a, a convention in Alberta. And these were all uh, owners of oil fields. I, I, you know, I always thought there was just like government owned it. But these were all different operators that own oil fields. And this is like an, an association they have of their members. It was a meeting. Um, it was a suit and tie affair. Um, there was probably, you know, 150 guys there, all men. Uh, and um, the, um, uh, the, the situation was with the, uh, the, the, uh, the one guy that we'll see probably uh, what the oldest of, of, of the group. I, I did this. Uh, remember the old uh, gag when when you open uh, when you open your eyes. We're going to go back to your fifth grade class, which I now do as, as your your boss. But we're going to go back to your your fifth grade teacher, and you're the the most rotten kid in your class. So every time I turn my back, you make all the ugliest faces you can think of. Uh, when I turn around, you stop. We will, I'm sure that you've seen that. Um, so I said, okay, um, I'm going to be your fifth grade teacher. Uh, I, I turn my back, and the um, and the guy is like the place is going hysterics. You know, the guy he's going wild. And then I I, I turn around, and he stops, and he's you know, and and I, I say, hey. I caught you doing that. Quit doing that. You know, and I do, I turn around again. He going to, you know, so I turn around again and, and I, and I said, quit that. I'm going to send you to the principal's office. If you do that again, the guy stands up mid fifties, man, suit and tie. He says, I'll tell you what I think about you, what I think about the school. I hate the school. I hate you. This is what I think about this. He unzips his pants and he proceeds to urinate on the on the floor of the stage. He was very yeah. deeply immersed in the experience. Uh, so, uh, and I mean, of course, 
they all knew each other to this. Yeah. It was just, and people are going hysterical with that. And then, yeah. the, so the, what, you know, so I'm, uh, what can I, I, at that moment, I'm trying to get him to quit. I'm kind of to this, you know, so, uh, you know, so I, we all know that once you start going, you just can't all of us. Hey, I'm I'm quitting. <laughs> so we got like a towel wrapped it around him and, and got him to um, to sit down. But I mean, um, that was pretty. Now, mind you, that was at a at a time before video cameras were just starting to come in. That would have mm-hmm. been like maybe um late 70s uh, something like that early the, the 80s like 80 80 20s videos are already in but around late 70s mm-hmm. there were no videos at that time yeah if there had been somebody had a video of that that would have been um pretty <laughs> well that was that was that was crazy that was absolutely crazy it's also back then um i guess because it was all men there wasn't so much the fear of uh, sexual harassment or sexual harassment lawsuits oh, yes. pulling oh, out the penis goodness. on stage oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 um it was, it was. My my last question for you is uh, one that we alluded to earlier, but I'll let you tell sort of uh, more of a complete forecast for your future. The question is, um, recently, practitioners such as myself have had to temporarily shutter our, shutter our offices because of COVID-19, while you've been hit with a double whammy because cruise ships, bars, clubs, and so on are closed down because of COVID-19. So what do you have planned next looking forward into your future? Well, you know what? It, 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 it is uh, never, I got to just mention, I would never dream in my wildest imagination or you as well or anybody that this would happen in our lifetime. We heard about the plague that happened in this year, the plague that happened in that year and this year. And for us to be right smack in the middle of this, and we've only this is only the beginning. I don't even know what uh, every festival, um, probably in in uh, or major fair is going to be canceled through the remainder of the year. Uh, everything is the entertainment industry has come to a complete halt. Uh, cruising, I think, is going to try to make it uh, make it back. We will never know if they'll ever ever be able to survive all this. Um, which means that you're, you're right. We we have to make some adjustments. Um, do have to make some adjustments. I, I am, you know, I, I'm still doing uh, uh, some um, some uh, of, of the sessions. I'm doing them over the phone. I am doing some things over the phone. Um, I, uh, I, I, I in the last number of year, a few years. I've actually gone into doing some acting things in some movies, and I was a magical advisor for a movie called Abracadabra. Not Abracadabra, Abracadabra, <laughs> uh, a Hallmark mystery movie. I was the advisor teaching the actor how to do some magic. And I did a thing where, um, called um, uh, Private Eyes. I don't know if you've ever seen Private Eyes. Um, uh, um, I that, don't watch a lot uh, of television. But... but it's an excellent show. I, I actually did a, a part where I, I portrayed a... a a South American movie director, and I had some lines that were actually in Spanish, which is kind of cool. However, that industry is also um, folded at the moment because you can't have auditions, public auditions, you can't have it with people there. Uh, when you're doing something on a movie set, you can't, so all of that has actually got collapsed there too. Um, 
But I just got a call recently that there is somebody doing uh, that some life there a little bit. Somebody is doing auditions now, but they're all online auditions. They're asking you, send everybody a script. This is what I want you to do. And you do a self video thing. And that's what they're looking at. But again, you know what? I, I, I've, I've made some, some uh, you know, some alter, uh, you know, alterations. But uh, I, I think it's going to come. But unfortunately, uh, you know, I don't see anything remarkable until there's a vaccination and everybody's com- comfortable you know, the U.S. can open up their borders and try to get the economy going in, in May. But still, um, until there's a vaccination, uh, people are not going to be comfortable. Although I just seen on TV in Florida, people are in thousands and in the droves out there. So they, they don't seem to be caring about that. Mm-hmm. Well, I've come to the end of my questions. Is there anything that you want to share with our listeners? Any other anecdotes you want to tell? Ideas you think everyone should know about stage hypnosis or about hypnosis in general before you know, we wrap up? Well, you know what? You, you've covered a lot, you know, uh, Luke. I, um, we, we've covered a lot. I, I think anybody that listens to, you know, maybe have, uh, you know, realizes some of the things that I've done in my life, maybe they could have picked something up there that may be beneficial to them. Um, but, um, I thank you for having me on. Um, you know, I, I've heard some great things about you. Um, and um, thank you. Know, you. I, I, yeah, I heard some great things about you. And um, maybe you can help me with my problems sometime. Just <laughs> give me a call. You know where I am. Thank you for All coming right. on board. Um, again, this is Ed Fernandez from FernandezHypnotist.com. He does stage shows. He does hypnotherapy. During the pandemic, he's doing it over the phone. I'm Luke Chow from the Morpheus Clinic for Hypnosis in Toronto, Canada, where we make hypnosis make sense. Mm-hmm.